I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. I'll be talking to actors from film, TV and theatre about one significant role in their career. From the moment they first heard about the opportunity, through their first and last days working on the job, to how they feel about it now. We also touch on professional techniques, creative philosophies, personal opinions of how to approach the job, as well as one or two funny stories along the way, and this season, a couple of surprises. So, I hope you can join me on Who Am I This Time? with me, David Morrissey. Award-winning, critically acclaimed, and universally loved. Leslie Manville is both a distinctive theatre actor, appearing at the RSC, the National Theatre and the Royal Court, amongst others, and also on TV and film, in projects as diverse as Emmerdale Farm, Cranford and The Superb Mum, for which she's been BAFTA nominated three times. She's also been a frequent collaborator of Mike Lee's, appearing in many of his films. In 2017, she received BAFTA and Oscar nominations for her portrayal of Cyril Woodcock in Paul Thomas Anderson's film Phantom Thread. I was delighted to be able to talk to her about it earlier this year. Hello and welcome to the show. This week I have the awesome Leslie Manville joining me and uh, we'll be going to talk about Phantom Thread, the equally awesome movie of 2018, and her character Cyril Woodcock, or the old so-and-so, as she's known. Um, (laughs) Leslie, thanks for joining me today. This is, I mean, obviously I've seen this film many times, but I saw it in prep for this it blows my socks off every time I see it. Oh, I, mean, how did, I know it's it's amazing. But how did you first come across it? How did how did it first approach you with them? Honestly, it's it's one of those days that I will truly never forget. I mean, apart from the fact that it was only about six weeks later uh, from the event I'm about to tell you about, I, I noticed on the script that Paul Thomas Anderson had written the date he'd sent it to me, and it was. My lucky number has always been six, and six has featured in my life so much. Houses that I've lived in, the birth of my son, the weight of my son. I mean, and I noticed on the script he'd written the six of the six, 16. (laughs) It had your name on it. It had my name (laughs) on it. Well, it was one of those, it, it was one of those jobs that just, came my way. It, it, it just dropped into my lap. I didn't know Paul. Uh, I didn't know Daniel. And uh, my agent rang me and she said, um, Paul Thomas Anderson wants to call you tomorrow morning at 11. As you, as you do. <laughs> I said, 
Right. She said, I've asked if it can be um, a conference call, but he's, you know, he's very respectfully said, no, just like a private chat and just wants to talk to me about a script. So I thought, you know, I didn't know what he was like at all. I thought, oh, he, he probably he won't ring on time or, you know, or he'll forget and he'll make excuses. But on the dot of 11 o'clock, he called the next day and um, he said, I mean, we, we talked, but basically he said, look, I've, I've got a script that I'm going to send to you. Um, he told me that it was with uh, Daniel and that we would be playing brother and sister. And um, he said, I don't want to, um, I don't want to email it. He, he doesn't trust that the emails won't get, you know, intercepted somehow. Uh -huh. So he said, I'm going to FedEx it. So have a read. And <laughs> he said, have a read and give me a ring when you've got a minute. Wow. <laughs> Which just made me laugh so much. I thought, yes, if I'm going to casually get this script and leave it on the side for a week and not, and then not <laughs> get go round, to the, I'll get round to it sometime. I'll get when I've got a minute. Anyway, um, and the script arrived and I, I read it and I called him back and we had a great conversation. And what just what was that conversation though? Because obviously the script, the script has the, did the script change from what I've seen on the you know on the screen? No, not hugely. Um, Paul doesn't write really any stage directions. Mm -hmm. So it's very sparse. It's just it's just the dialogue and so it's like he, a play it's like a play, really. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't mind um, he doesn't mind you going off script a bit. I mean, we didn't we didn't do it hugely. There were some scenes that we actually did go completely off script and he got us to, you know, improvise and things. But it was very sparse, the script. So and he he just said, look, it's this is what it is. It's all on the page. He didn't he wasn't prescriptive in any way about Cyril or how Cyril should be or how he saw her. He just said, their brother and sister, it's, it's the 1950s and they run a very, very high-end couture, small couture house. Mm -hmm. That was it. And then he said, look, I'm going to be over in, um, I'm going to be over in London in a couple of months so, uh, with Daniel, so let's meet up and go out. So I said, fabulous. So then I called my agent and she said, well, is it, what, is it yours? Has he offered it to you? And I said, oh, actually, um, I'm not sure. I mean, he's coming over and we're going to go out. But he didn't actually say those words. It's an offer. Anyway, cut to um, two days later, he emailed me and he said, oh, my God, I'm really, really sorry. I hope you haven't had a terrible weekend. I forgot to say it's yours if you want it. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. Thought, oh, yeah, that's a little detail. You just forgot to slip in. <laughs> <laughs> so when you met up with them, what type, what, what type of chat was that lunch that you and him and Dan would have together? Was that just a... Was you were you unpacking the script then, or was it just get to know you? It was. There was no unpacking of the script at all. We went. We went out. Um, he was staying at the Covent Garden Hotel. We went out for dinner, just the three of us, and we all. I mean, obviously, Daniel and Paul had worked together before, mm -hmm. but um, we we just got on really well. We had a really lovely evening. We went back to the hotel and raided the the Honesty Bar. At yeah. the, 
<laughs> and just had a uh, just had a great time. Absolutely no discussion about the script at all. And this was about seven months before shooting was due to start. So I had a really long lead time. I mean, what happened in those seven months, really, when it got to about three or four months before we were due to shoot, I started having costume fittings. And that was very, very, well, joyous, but time consuming. I mean, wow. I had so many costume fittings. But Paul never, he never said anything really about Cyril. He just, he just let it sit with me. I mean, the period I knew quite a bit about because I dealt with that period before. So yeah. I knew what kind of post-war 50s Britain was like and the politics of the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I started to obviously research all the fashion and that kind of practical stuff, but he left, he left me alone and he, that's what he does. It's when you start shooting that, and you just start doing it and he sees you doing little things and tiny details, then he gets completely fired up and completely right. involved and it's, totally collaborative and you're just firing off each other all day. So there's no rehearsal. You don't catch up before you don't, you don't sit up like two or three weeks before the shooting starts and sit down. None, none no. of that. No, no, it was, uh, we did what we did do. He likes because he, um, I, I don't think many people know this, but he has obviously have a camera operator, but he, he doesn't have a DOP as such a DOP. Wow. is. Uh, somebody who uh, lights um, yeah. will, will light a film. Um, uh, he he has an operator who he's worked with a lot, so he brought a lot of his camera team over mm -hmm. from the states, and he lights it with his gaffer. Oh wow! Yeah, because it's so beautifully lit. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess that's where his his whole um, expertise is. He but sometimes it, operates. I mean, he has done films where he's operated as well, mm. um, but he didn't on this. But what we did do was lots of lighting tests and camera tests. And if you watch the um, bonus features on the DVD, right. you it's great if you're a young filmmaker or wanting to be a, a young filmmaker. Um, he shows you all the different filters that he's putting in. Oh wow! Oh, and what it does, and of course, and we shot it on proper film. We didn't shoot yeah. on digital. Um, and yeah, he, he just plays around with with lighting and filters and and colors. Yeah. Uh, there was the, one of the tests that he did with Daniel and I was was in the room that was going to be like the room where they had clients and yeah. showed, showed off costumes, uh, outfits. Um, they, they couldn't work out for ages what color the, 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 the drapes, the curtains should be. So we were doing tests with red drapes, with white drapes. And the, I mean, Cyril's office, we shot it all, all of those scenes are in this gorgeous big house in, um, oh, I've forgotten the name of the square now. It's not Belgravia, is it? No, it's at the back of um, where, the, where the post office tower is. Fitzroy oh, Square. Fitzroy Square, okay. Fitzroy yeah. Square, one of those beautiful big houses. And we mm. used it for virtually 
apart from when they go to the country and have their country house, which we did in the Cotswolds. But um, Cyril's office, I think, was wallpapered about five times before they, they settled on it. And wow. Mark Bridges, Oscar-winning. Yeah, Oscar I wanted to ask you about Mark, because one of the things I want to ask you about, Mark, is some, quite often when we're, you know, when we're starting a job, the costume designer is one of the first people we meet, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we can have a dialogue with them about how you want the character to look. But there's something so specific about the look of this film. Were the, did, were the costumes sort of there? And did you have any input into that or was it very much Mark? I had loads, loads of input. Oh, loads. Great. But we start, so we started, he'd been pulling 50s clothes from all over the place. He bought loads from LA. Mm -hmm. He got loads sent over from New York. He went to Paris. He went to Berlin. He was in London. And we were, he had this vast, vast, vast room of rails and rails and rails of clothes, mm -hmm. which of course all got used by uh, supporting artists and the extras and all of that. But, so I was, we were trying to work out what Cyril would wear to work, what would sort of be her uniform, really, a day-to-day. -day. And we were trying on all these original 50s clothes and looking at shapes and how things looked on me. And naively, even though I've been in acting for decades and decades, I, I thought, oh, these, these clothes are fantastic. This is a great dress. We could use this, couldn't we? And he said... No, 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 no. This is just all getting shapes and ideas. Everything gonna... made for you. <laughs> I'm going to make it. Don't worry. That's <laughs> not what you're wearing. That is brilliant. <laughs> um, and, and we sort of, I mean, this went on for months and months and months. And I was there every week, hours and hours and hours. When you're, fee when you're getting into those costumes, even though they're the ones that you won't finally wear, are you sort of, Finding Cyril in those moments, are you thinking? Well, you see, that for, for me, that's when I do start to find it. You, you know, we decided, and there's an interesting story I'll tell you. We decided that, you know, there was something quite, Cyril's sexuality is never discussed. You, she's had this strange life where she's lived with her brother and sort of mothered him, really. Mm -hmm. But there's no... There's no sense at all of whether she's gay or straight, whether she has been married, not nothing. But what, what Mark and I kind of arrived at in putting on clothes, that there should be, they, we liked it when they were quite nipped in at the waist. I mean, that was very much the style of the time anyway, but kind of enhancing that, that shape that, you know, I'm, I'm, blessed at the moment with still with a small waist so we kind of used it you know and did and decided that there there should be something quite tight about her that's a bit sexual mm -hmm. just neat but within that neatness there's something quite suppressed sexuality because i wanted to ask you about this about her the complex character is the fact that she's business, isn't she? She's also, she's mother. I mean, mm. the breakfast stuff is amazing. 
but she's also guardian to him and his genius, but she's also business. And I think yeah. uh, what's wonderful about the costumes is they're all of that in one, you know, there's, yeah. she can, she can have all of those things in that one sort of, that sort of way that she turns herself out. And even at the restaurant, when you're there and you're sort of socializing, she still looks in place there. Yeah, she does. But interestingly, the very first scene I shot, uh, well, we started the whole shoot by going to the Cotswolds for a month and shooting all the stuff in their country retreat. Um, So the first scene I shot is early on, it is early on in the film when Reynolds has gone down there by himself. He's, He's met Alma and he's brought her back and he's measuring her. And then... Cyril arrives and it's that sort of strange and I'm sniffing yeah. her a bit. And yeah, that's a great scene when you sniff her. Oh. <laughs> um, anyway, that scene on the page, it's a, it's a page and a half. There's not very much dialogue. It's really minimal scene. We had three days to shoot it. So we shot it for three days and then... About two days after that, you know what it's like, David. You always feel you want to reshoot your first few days because you've just not quite, you know, you you might have been great, but you always feel that you haven't quite got it going. And then suddenly you start to feel a bit more comfortable. So I said to Paul, oh, God, I just wish we could reshoot that scene. He said, oh, well, actually, we're going. He said, we're going to. He said um, he didn't like, he didn't like the dress that Reynolds put on Alma. He didn't think the room was lit properly, but crucially, he didn't think Cyril's costume was right. And he was absolutely on the money because what we'd put her in for the country was a sort of tweedy, brogues, tweedy, quite a hefty tweedy jacket and a some sort of a hat. Yeah. And the truth is, she looked frumpy. She she just kind of looked bulky and yeah. yeah. So we changed it completely, and we 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 made it different, but different from the Tweedy look, but more in keeping with how she generally dressed at work, but more a bit more relaxed. But just things like her hair was loose. She comes up the stairs. I was just going to say that. It's the only time you see her with her hair down. Yeah, and she's like free. There's a real freedom to her. And even before that, I know we film out of sequence, but the scene before that, you say to him, you go down to the country and I'll come tomorrow. It's like, and it's like the country represents something so free for all of them, for both of them. Yeah, even though... They're at, the, they're, at, they're at their country house, just the two of them again, yeah, yeah. you know. But it's sort of like it's interrupted. She comes up the stairs expecting just to see him, and then yeah. there he is with a yeah. woman, and you feel like, oh, it's, it, this is happening again. And she, well, knows, she knows the routine. And stuff. She, knows the, she knows the routine. And interestingly, you know, we shot, we shot an awful lot at that house. We shot a lot of scenes that never, never made it, not because they weren't great and not because they weren't acted by some great people. But Paul was saying that as he was editing the film, 
he started to see that actually what all he wanted it to be about was this triangle. Mm. And so there are so many characters that, that were peripheral characters. You know, yeah. they might have been day players or two day players. They've just gone completely. What I love about the film, so much I love about it, but there's this sort of Greek chorus as well, which is all the women in, in that you employ, that they're sort of there. They're yeah. beavering away and they're all perfect and wonderful and, and they're yeah. being marshaled by him and her. And yeah. Alma doesn't know whether she's above them or inside, you know, you know, she doesn't know where her position is in the house. But no. they're like this Greek chorus. They're constantly they are. watching. It's just brilliantly awesome. Well, there's a story about that. The two, the two older women, the sort of principal ones. Biddy. Yes, they oh. actually were the ladies. They they work voluntarily at the VNA archive. Oh wow. And they used to work for Hardy Amy's. Right. So they were helping us with the research. I mean, the VNA were wonderful and really helped us hugely. But those two ladies were very involved. So Paul then decided to bring them into the film. And all the other ladies, the, the Greek chorus, they 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 were um supporting artists, but he only wanted supporting artists who could sew, mm. that knew knew their way around a you know a needle and thread and cutting and because the film reflects uh, Woodcock, doesn't it? In the fact that it's it's about precision, it's yeah. sort of a, it's about beauty, yeah. it's about sort of um, you know care and attention, and then yeah. it all starts to unravel. But the film sort of reflects that, and you, there isn't there isn't an ornament out of place. There isn't a no. hair out of place. Everything, and and you know, obviously there's Johnny Greenwood's score and all that, but there's just something about it that is reflecting this inner character. And, I, yeah. and I, I find that fascinating. Well, interesting you say about that, not a hair out of place. There was some, there was a take that I did when, when Cyril's at her desk and um, Daniel Reynolds comes in to talk to her. And, uh, you know, in those work scenes, my, Cyril's hair was always back and, and the glasses and everything. Um, and in, in one take, I, I took the glasses off talk to him and just instinctively tidied my hair because you know when you take the glasses yeah, yeah. off sometimes your hair can end up doing that and I took the glasses off and, and tidied the hair well Paul loved it he loved it so he Good. sees little things like that and he he there was also another occasion when um he just had to leave the room because he couldn't stop laughing <laughs> and also on the outtake on the um bonus features one of the breakfast scenes we shot, and at the end of the scene, Reynolds takes a gulp of his jasmine tea and he spat it at Cyril. And so, you know, we, we, I re reacted and, and then he cut. And then Paul took me to one side and he said, if he does that again, throw your, throw your tea over him. So he did, he did do it again and I did throw my tea over him. By this time, all you can hear in the other room is the costume department just oh, shouting. Apoplectic. There's only one dress and there's only, you know, God. there's no repeat. So I'm obviously, as you know, if you know you're going to have food over your dress, yeah, they, make, them. Um, they make enough of them. Anyway, so 
having soiled these clothes, Paul then said, I'll probably never use it because we've only got one camera and it'll be in one position and it won't be able to get do reverses or anything. But he said, let's have a full on food fight. Wow. Like their kids, like their couple of six year olds. And it's on the it's on the bonus features. And you see, uh, you know, he pours he pours sugar down my dress. Wow. I put jam all over his face. I've got to see that. I mean, one of the things that you have on this film, which, you know, is a blessing, but actually sometimes can be a curse, is you have time. Now, you know, you and I, we sort of have done a lot of British TV, a lot of independent film where you don't have time. So yeah. you're, you make choices quickly or you not maybe not make the choices quickly, but you're in your choice sort of range, which is, you know, you, you don't have time to play as much in these, no. in these bigger movies with budgets and stuff, you get time to play. As I say, sometimes that can be a curse, but in this, it seems like having that freedom, having, you know, three days to film a scene that is a page and a half is such luxury. I mean, did you, were you aware of that at the time? Yeah, because Paul's worked with the same producers since he made his first film when he was 23, which was a film called Hard Eight. Mm -hmm. When he was 26, he made Boogie Nights. But he's worked with the same producers uh, ever since. And they know just to leave him alone. They're never there, you know, tapping their watches or saying, come on. They leave him alone. Mm. And at the end of it, I was talking to them and they said, yeah, we've probably shot, um, I think it was a 14-week, 15-week shoot, something like that. They said, we've probably shot three weeks that won't get used at all. Gosh. Gosh. But, you know, that's, that's... that that that's the way he works, you see, because he's feeding off, he's feeding off the actors, mm. and so when he sees you developing something and he sees something going up a certain avenue, he'll he'll make that avenue happen. Make but it there, work. There needs to be trust mm. and faith around that process, doesn't it? I mean, you've said that, you know, you've done so much work with Mike Lee and you said working with Mike served you well when you got to work with Paul in the sense that, you know, you've you've been with a director who you have total trust in. So you can give your trust to this person as well because yeah. you have to be vulnerable. And in order to be vulnerable, you have to be with people you trust, don't you, really? Yeah. I mean, the thing to say about Paul, really, I mean... You're absolutely spot on with all of that. But he is he is one of the great human beings. There is nothing Hollywood about him. He's a warm, kind, you know, he's a great dad. He's married, he's family, he's everything. And you know, he's 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 just a completely fully rounded, lovely person who's got an extraordinary imagination. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know he's an exceptional. He's he's a truly exceptional filmmaker. Yeah, he's, but, a yeah, re- time, he's a real artist, isn't he? He's a real yeah. artist. You see that in all his work. You know? Yeah. No. He. Yeah. He is. And so when because one of the other great things about the film, you know, the relationship between you and Reynolds is is this history that you have, particularly around the mother. We don't really know anything about the father. There's an absence there. 
there's there is a, a dynamic being played around that breakfast table, like we said before, about is she his mother? Is she his carer? Is she his sort of protective? All that yeah. stuff. Was that ever talked about, or did you just come up with that? Was that just in the way you were playing? Well, I think what I think what happened was over over the seven months or so when I knew I was going to do the film, waiting to start it. Daniel and I became friends mm -hmm. and we, we'd speak on the phone. We, we, he'd send me nice, sweet texts and let me know what he was doing because he spent those seven months working at the, I think it was the New York City Ballet. Right. He went and worked in the costume department there. And he learned to, to be a, a dressmaker. Um, which culminated in him making, cutting and making from scratch a dress. Yeah. So he would send sweet little messages like, you know, oh, I'm doing buttonholes today or, you know. And over those seven months, we became close and we developed this relationship between Leslie and Daniel that I think we mirrored in a way with Cyril and Reynolds. Mm -hmm. It was, and I'm not saying it was exactly like it because obviously I'm not Cyril and he's not Reynolds, but we, we developed, um, uh, we, we would be rude to each other. And, you know, well, because we became so comfortable with each other, we could be insulting or rude and send rude texts or, and I think we took that, familiarity and fondness of each other and sort of morphed it into being Cyril and Reynolds. But that fascinates me because words mm. like comfort and, you know, uh, friendly, although there's a cuddliness around that. Whereas in the, certainly in the beginning of this film, there's a real steel and frostiness, isn't there? There's yeah. something. So in order to have, you need to have trust and be friendly and be comfortable around someone in order to portray the opposite as well, don't you? Yes, yeah. I mean, yes. And 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 obviously Cyril and Reynolds uh, weren't the same as Leslie and Daniel's mm -hmm. relationship, but because we'd become so um, easy with each other, I mean, in a way the rest followed. And also I think that, how Cyril became Cyril was interesting, really, because I, I think that because Paul had left me alone, I in my head, I just thought, right, OK, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be very sparing with her. I'm I'm going to, you know, not not demonstrate. I want it all going on, but I wasn't going to externalize it all very much. Um, and in a way that partly grew out of a kind of fear, I think, of. Mm -hmm. How 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 do I play this character? And this is, you know, this is one of the biggest opportunities I've had in my career. I don't want to mess it up. And mm. So I kind of this stillness came. And as soon as I got onto that, I thought, yeah, that's right. This is her. This is what she's like. It's that clarity and that neatness and all of the things came together when they start when this wonderful um, hairdresser started doing my hair and making it all just so tidy and exact. All of those things just 
fell into place. Yes. Yes, I love that. I mean, I think that's very important to hear about you don't have to turn up on the first day of rehearsal or the second day of getting the job and have all your answers. They all come to you. They come to you with different things. And you have to sort of be open to those things to come to you, haven't you? You know, you can't be in there too fixed. I think that's key, David. I really do, because I think that what I have now, and I'm sure it's the case with you too, is I feel that I have something that, you can't be taught. I I know that I have a confidence now that's just come out of doing it for so long. Well, it's experience, isn't it? Yeah. Experience. And I know that I'm really, really interested these days in trusting my instincts. Mm-hmm. And that does involve, as you've just said, sometimes starting and being a bit open to what's going to happen. I'd be interested to see that scene, the first scene I shot when Cyril turns up at the the country, because uh, as I said, we shot it, we reshot it, you know, Mm -hmm. several days later. So I was getting a bit more in tune with it then, but I was probably all right in the first place anyway, but who knows? Yeah, and also it's just degrees, isn't it? And also there's the other thing I think that's really important, (laughs) particularly in film, is there's a point when you have to hand it over to the creative or her, you know, you have to hand it to Paul at some point. So you say, look, these are my takes. These are the, the different ways I've played it. Uh, yeah. I'm going home now. You do with it what you want. Yeah. And that was very hard for me as a young actor to sort of walk away from that day. I would agonize about it and sort of sort of beat myself up. I mean, I still do the thing that you do of saying, look, can we have another go at that? I didn't think I got it right, but I would agonize. And now I'm better at going, I've done my bit. It's up to them to make the choice now. Yeah. And I and and that that feeling has made me less. I used to be quite funny when a director would say, Oh, well, look, just just do it a different way. So I've got choices. And I used to think. Yeah, but then you're making the choices for me. You're taking away how my character might react because now you want me to do it completely differently and that's not how I see her. Mm. But actually, that can go wrong if you're not in genius's hands. But when you know you're in such good hands, you know, you, I, you, you can absolutely just go, right, okay. We'll be back with more chat after this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you're listening to Who Am I This Time? With me, David Morrissey. Now, back to this week's episode. But that's what I mean about the trust and the time. You know, on television, sometimes you don't have, you know, for me on television, say on your, your a scene, you might get 10 takes, you know, 10 times you do it. For me, I've got an idea of what I want to do. The other actor comes in, I start reacting to them, all that stuff. Now, the 11th take isn't going to be that much different. No. But the 25th or the 34th, that's when it starts to change. And you haven't got time to get to that place on a TV schedule. No. So it's no. It, it's hard. So the, the luxury of having those big movies and, and the ch- chance to experiment and be be trustful with another director is, is brilliant, I think. Yeah, yeah. Would he encourage you to watch it at all? Would you watch The Monitor? No, no, I didn't watch. No, and he didn't encourage that. Mm-hmm. I don't, as a rule, watch. I mean, I might... On exceptional occasions, watch um, if you've got to uh, replicate something because of the geographical thing in the site. But no, I don't really. Yeah. No, because. Uh, but how are you at watching the finished product? Oh, that's fine. I like right. that because it's gone. I, yeah, it's gone, and 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 I will always watch something I've done. Um. Because yeah. you know, how do you know? if what you think is working is working or things that you have tried to achieve, whether you've achieved them, you know, all of that. I tend, also, if, I'm, if I'm watching the monitor, I tend just to see what the shot is, the frame. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To, to look at the monitor, to see how it's framed. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, because we were talking about Mike Lee and obviously you've done lots of different uh Wonderful films with Mike and theatre as well, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, what what was it that you learned from him and that you've taken into your into the roles that you've subsequently gone on and done? Well, I mean, in a nutshell, I started working when I was 16 and I was doing I was a stage school girl. I went to Italia Conti for about nine months. I left school at 15, went to London. I was there for a little while. Then I started getting work and I, I did anything that came. My first job was a musical in the West End that John Schlesinger directed, which was amazing. I did Panto. I presented a children's television programme for Westwood Television. I did, I, did any, I did Emmerdale when it was a twice mm-hmm. weekly daytime soap. I did that. Emmerdale Farm, then, I think. Emmerdale it Farm, it was called. It was on Mondays and Wednesdays. Oh, oh I know. I want to ask you about that. Don't worry. Um, Great. I mean, that was shot on film. The exteriors were shot on film. Terrible match when you then came into the video of the studio. But I learned so much doing that job. Anyway, so I sort of spent about six, seven years bumbling around, having a great time, 
I, I did not think about what kind of actress I thought I was or what I wanted to be. I just did every job that came along. Then I met Mike Lee. He, I was doing a play at the, um, the RSC in London. It was, an, it was a new play, a Peter Flannery play. And uh, Mike had been asked to come and do a play for them, but he had to cast it from within the company for economic reasons. And I don't think I was a candidate at all. I, 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 I only ever played myself. I didn't even think about playing somebody that wasn't like me. But I met him and we, we, we started working together with his process, which I won't go into in great detail because that's another podcast altogether. <laughs> but, you know, you, you create char- a character with him very slowly over a period of time and then you develop a play or a film through improvisation. Mm-hmm. You never film, I'm just adding, you never roll the cameras and see what happens with Mike. By the time you shoot it, you absolutely know what you're saying. So the improvisation has been a means to an end. Anyway, I met Mike and it was extraordinary. I mean, I, A, I loved the way he worked. I loved not having a script. And I absolutely got off on playing somebody a million miles from me. Mm. And in essence, all the films and the play that I've done with him, he's taken me in a different direction every single time. And I know that's why I don't get typecast now, because he's just given me that breadth of characters to play. So did he, is it um, right to say that what he did was he made you observe people differently than that and that people were up for grabs then? Because they're not... Mm. It's not impersonations that you do or we do. You know, there's something you're looking at energy. You're looking mm. at sort of, you know, tone of person. They're just this different thing. You collect those characters, don't you? In but I think I'd always been doing that as even as a kid. But I just hadn't worked out how to channel it yeah. or I didn't even think, you know, I, I didn't even think about channeling it into characters so it was that that he did. I think I'd always been, you know, nosy and interested. And but were um, you a performer as a child? I mean, I know. I mean, you grew yeah. up in Brighton, didn't you? And 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 sort of was. I know. Was your mum a ballerina? Were you in? Was there some sort of performance in the family? Yeah, there was really. I mean, my mum had been a ballerina, but gave it up when she got married. And my dad was a crooner. You know, he had a great voice, so he'd be around the British Legion club and singing and and I my sister and I did classical singing mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I and we also sang together as a sort of sister act you know doing kind of modern stuff um so, so when you yeah. said you wanted to be an actress how was how did that go down I mean 15 leaving for London when you're 16 it's a big I deal know. I I think well, you know, they, they, my mum and dad could see, you know, that I, they, they, they didn't know whether I could act or not, but they certainly knew I could sing. And I think that when I left, I did all the research myself. I, I just heard about somebody else who'd gone to Italia Conti and I just thought, right, I'm going, I'm going there. Um, and I got a full grant from Brighton & Hove Council. Yeah. They even gave me a season ticket for the train. So it cost me 
absolutely nothing to, to cost my parents nothing for me to go there. So that was, you know, it, I, I couldn't have done it without that because my that father was, that was, was the same for me. I got a grant from Liverpool City Council. There was no way I would have been able to come to London University no. Drama School. No, my dad was a taxi driver. He, he just he couldn't have afforded it. So I, I was, I think I was very single-minded and, you know, I got up and travelled to London every day and, uh, and, and it was, I think I went there with the idea that I would do musicals. I, I learned to dance there with Arlene Phillips. Yeah, when are you going to be in Hot Gossip? Leslie. Yeah, Arlene, Arlene was forming Hot Gossip. What a different career that could have been. I mean, sliding doors or what? <laughs> they would have been career over by 25. You know? She said She said to me, I'm going to start this, um, this group. Because all we had until then was, do you remember Pan's People on Top of the Pops? Remember them? Remember yes, of course them. I do. Gosh. <laughs> yeah. So then well, Hot Gossip said, came along. So she said, I'm going to form a dance group. But she said, it's going to be really raunchy. And, um, you know, and, and in my head, my dad was a million miles from being approved, but there was, a, I was a good girl. I was, I, I never broke the rules. I never took drugs. I never did anything naughty. I just thought, no, I can't do that. I, I don't want to be in scantily clad on television with my dad watching. And so I said to Arlene, no, but she did teach me to dance and that was brilliant. And I was singing. And I met a really good drama teacher there. So I'd started then to get interested in acting. But you say that about being a good girl. There was one decision you made yourself, which didn't go down well, which is Emmerdale Farm, isn't it? Because that was a regular job. You were being paid yeah. well. You had a, you know, it was like you're suddenly buying your own flat. And yeah. then you, but you decided not to carry on with it. And that didn't go yeah. down well with your dad, did it? I mean, as it wouldn't have gone down no. with any of my parents. Well, my dad, my dad was just annoyed because it meant he wouldn't be able to watch me on telly every day, you know, but, but, but um, I, and yet I, I, I have a home. I've had a home that I've owned all my life because of Emmerdale farm. Mm-hmm. You know, it got me the deposit for a flat and all of those things. So it was brilliant, but um, I knew that I, I didn't want to stay. Uh, um, and when I said I was, I was going to leave that, you know, the cast had been, you know, we got very close and it was lovely. Um, the composer, George Fenton was in it. Right. He was, he was an actor at the time. We're still friends now, but I said I was going to go. And I remember them saying, you don't want to do that. It's terrible out there. You know, there's no work. And, and I understood that they were older than me. And I think they made the decision to be in it and it was comfortable and they were earning money having a nice life. Mm-hmm. And I understood that, but, you know, I was 18 or 19 and I knew that um, I needed to go and do other things. Right. So the, the, there was something calling you to try, you know, not, not just to be safe, but, you know, to sort of try different characters and, and put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I suppose I got quite brave quite early on. I was living on my own, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember one of my first jobs was being a presenter of this show, kids show that was recorded live in Plymouth. And I was 16 doing that. And I was living on my own in a hotel in Plymouth, going out for something to eat by myself every night, 
-hmm. in a slightly seedy hotel. You know, nobody looked after me. And then that's that is is that kept you in good stead, though? That sort of determination, that sort of singularity of purpose that you're describing. Yeah. And I think it's also made me I just kind of get on with it instead of thinking, oh, this isn't ideal. I don't like this. I'll, I'll get out of it. I've always thought, right, well, this is it. Um, I remember there was another job. I did Panto in Bradford Alhambra, and we did the Panto from November till March. Mm. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. And I lived in these digs, and it was pretty grim, but... I thought, well, this is what I'm doing. So you've got to do it. So I've, I know I've got that just get on with it, Leslie, sort of attitude. Yeah. And that just get on with it attitude, because sometimes, I mean, you've been quoted to this, there's sometimes we see younger actors who don't have that attitude and it really can get you down, can't it? I mean, there's a sense of, I was going to ask you about Mike or, or Emmerdale, there was a sense of, professionalism that was instilled in you, wasn't it? I mean, my first job I did was with a, a director called Gordon Fleming, who, you know, he'd done everything. He was an old guy. He was very sort of stern. But woe betime me coming in late or not, you know, he, he was, he had, had, he would drill me to learn my lines, to know. Yeah. And I really, at the time, I thought, oh my God, but it's, you know, really, I've learned that lesson. Oh, God, yeah. And I think that's a, I think at times I work with people and I'm sure you do too. And you just think, oh, come on, Mm. this is just a bit, this is just a bit lazy now, you know, and and young people going out too much and not, you know, not, not coming to the show, to the show prepared. And yeah, yeah, no, I've, I've got, I'm very, very, very disciplined, but it's only, it, but that's me disciplining me. Because one of the things I love about my job, and I think you do too, is is the the communal nature of it, the collaboration, yeah. the unit. You know, the the idea that there's a cast and crew. I mean, even in you know, we've just worked together on Sherwood, which is a very you know heartbreaking and tough job. But God, you have a laugh on it as well, don't you? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. something about being together on those those units that is so, so wonderful. And you want to bring it to, to be with everybody and, and to make sure yeah. that, you know, the day is good, not just other actors, but the crew as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, yeah. I love, I love getting close to the crew and, mm-hmm. you know, talking, chatting with them. And, yeah. um, and then when, when, when the chips are down, you just, you know, you, you, you crack on and do the work, but I don't know. I think I think younger actors. Are, I don't envy them now. I'm so glad I started when I started. Yes. I I I, I think this pressure that they're under to with social media and um, you know mm-hmm. how many followers have they got and it's and auditioning on their phones and it's yeah. it's awful. I think self tape is a killer. I don't know how the people yeah. do that. I mean, I find that really, you know, you've got to get in the room as far as I'm concerned. And it's yeah. such a lazy way of uh, auditioning people. But <laughs> what has changed the real, uh, one of the other changes, isn't it for the good, it seems to me is that, and, you know, I spoke to Geraldine James on the podcast as well, is that roles for women in middle age, there's suddenly yeah. That's very accept, you know, that's sort of breaking yeah. out, isn't it? There's more roles for that. Do you feel that? You must feel that. 
Oh, I, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm de I definitely feel that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof that it, you know, I, it's been very bad and it's taken way too long for it to get better. But I do think it is getting better because producers, film producers, television producers are realizing that there's this, there's a market for it. Mm -hmm. You know, women want to go to the cinema and see films where their, their stories are told. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, fantastic films like Mamma Mia, you know, what an amazing film with three um, middle-aged women just having a great time and proving that being over 50 doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're not, you don't, you can't be seen as being energetic or attractive or having a life and not just being the wife or the mother. And also age casting, you know, we've seen so long, you know, for years of, you know, men in their late 50s and their wives are always cast in their late 30s and stuff. Yeah. And that, that's changing. I can see that changing a lot now, which is wonderful. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, it, it, it is changing a lot. And also, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done, you know, a couple of things lately where I've had, um, you know, younger lovers. Mm -hmm. And I, I love telling that story. Do you think? Because yeah, come on, it's been the reverse way too long. One of your films, which is is um, Ordinary Love, which I just think is a, such a wonderful, wonderful film. Yeah. And um, you know, again, a wonderful relationship you and Liam have on that. Yeah. I mean, the chemistry. Sometimes we don't know about because you have two wonderful actors and they just don't get chemistry. The chemistry just doesn't happen no. for some reason. So it's potluck sometimes, but it really worked on that film, didn't it? I don't know what happened there because we 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 met. I was in New. He lives in New York, and I was in New York doing um, Long Day's Journey in Tonight. Mm -hmm. And so the directors who who are a married couple. Um, Lisa Barrister Saar and Glenn Labour, and they came over to New York to spend a couple of days with us. Mm -hmm. And we just went round to Liam's and had lunch a couple of days and just chewed the fat over this script. And then that was it. Cut to, you know, two months later, we are in Belfast shooting it. And, you know, the first scene was them watching the telly together, just kind of bickering in the lovely way that they did and winding each other up a bit. And, and I, I remember when we started that thinking, right, okay, 30 years of marriage and action. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kind of just, it just did happen for both of us. It was just easy. We just really felt comfortable with each other. And, you know, it was, some of those scenes were painful, you know, when the cancer got bad and, um, you know, vomiting and all oh, terrible, I mean, terrible stuff we had and to that, do. There's that love scene, which is just um, oh, heartbra the, heartbreakingly wonderful, though. It's, you know, there's something so... Yeah. I mean, you see these two people so together. Yeah, I know. But that's some things you can't analyse, can you? No. I, I don't know why that just was easy from the minute I saw him, really. You've worked with some great directors. You know, we mentioned Mike and Paul and, and Alan Clark and all a lot. What does a director have to do to allow you to be brave or to create what you need to do? 
God, well, you see that, well, you know, they're all so different, aren't they? Mm. I think I'm pretty good at, um, if I, if I think they're good and hopefully I kind of know they're good before you go into something, yeah. I'm very good at giving myself over to that. Um, and so that you, I'm not giving myself any unnecessary battles. I remember, I remember when I really started getting into the flow of things with Mike Lee, there was a, there was a little moment after that. I went back to work at the Royal Court with Matt Stafford-Clark, who I'd also worked with quite a lot. But for about a day, I remember thinking, oh, come on, Max, why, you know, why, don't, you, why don't you work like Mike? Why don't you do it like him? Why, aren't you, why can't we character talk and this, that? And I just thought, look, stop it. This is the Royal Court Theatre. Max is famed for his work on new writing. That's what this building is about. And we're serving the writers here. And then all the actors bring their thing and layer that onto it. So I, 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 I learned that lesson quite quickly. That give yourself up to them and see what they're going to allow me to do. Mm -hmm. But I suppose the really, I think, I think the, re the ones I really get on with best kind of leave me alone. Yes. And then, and by that, I don't mean, because you, you, you could interpret that wrongly and think, oh, well, you could have a useless director then who just leaves you alone so you can just do it yourself, can you, Leslie? No, I can't do it myself. But they leave me alone to start fishing around and, and feed in real little nuggets of brilliance and genius and lateral thinking, things that I haven't thought about. Yeah, but I, I do like it when they give me free reign. Yeah, I think that. I think uh, I like directors to leave me alone, but to see me, to yeah. observe me. Yeah, and therefore, and, and respond to me in that way, or respond to us if we're in a scene together. You know, that's what I need. The yeah. worst, the worst thing for me is when I feel that a director wanted another actor, didn't get him, and is trying to turn me into them. <laughs> and that, I get quite paranoid about that. But how are you with you know you creating character? You work in the theater as well as film and television. Is when you're creating a character. Do you do anything different for theatre than you would for film and television? Well, I suppose the main difference is that what I've started doing with the last three or four plays that I've done, I've decided to learn them up front, pretty much, you know. I mean, it's partly fed by the fact that, you know, well, certainly with Long Day's Journey and Tonight, it's such a huge piece of writing and... There are so many big speeches that go on for pages and pages. And also because of the economics of rehearsal time, you know, you don't always get seven, eight weeks. You might only get five, you know, at the Almeida Theatre when I did Ghosts. Now that wasn't a huge, we, I think we played it, it ran an hour and 50 minutes and we did it straight through without an interval, I think. Can't remember now. But it wasn't a big learn per se, but I got it out of the way because I thought, well, I want to spend these five weeks working with the other actors and finding out how to, how to play her and how, how I um, deal with all the emotional stuff that I've got to 
take this character through every night. So that that was a kind of conscious decision. And I have to say, I've really liked it. I think a long time ago, I would have thought, oh, don't be ridiculous. How can you learn it before? You don't know how you're going to play it. But I found that very pedestrian process of sitting in my kitchen and breaking up the day with, you know, I'll do a bit and then I'll cook a bit of lunch and then I'll put a wash on and then I'll this, that and the other. But the, the whole day is really spent learning a play something starts to happen by osmosis. Yeah, that's how I, That's what I do as well. I always learn it before I get there. Only, you know, only, so, driven by fear sometimes, I have of to course, say. Of course, yeah. But also I think, well, it's the, when you, you get those questions, how would you learn all those lines? And I think, well, that's the <laughs> least I can do really, is, <laughs> le- is learning the lines. You know, that's sort of the least, that's the one thing you should expect of me when you come and see me. <laughs> Yeah, let's get that one out of the way. And then I can start unpacking it and doing it, you know. I've, I've I, just got to nip in with a little nugget because when you said, how do you learn the lines? It's the kind of thing you sort of expect, you know, your auntie to ask you. But actually, Penelope Cruz asked me it. <laughs> well, like, you should know. I know. <laughs> that is brilliant. Because I did... Um, Al Modavar's play of All About My Mother. Oh, gosh. And, and on the press night, uh, Pedro had been around a bit, but on the press night, he came with Penelope and she literally said to me, how do you learn the lines? That is brilliant. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I'm a great believer that, you know, nothing's for nothing and every experience you can use, but it must have been difficult for you with the visit, which you did at the National Theatre and you'd rehearsed it. And I think you did one or two performances before it got pulled for COVID? No, we did a bit more than that. Did you? Okay. We did about, well, the the national, I was then was in repertoire. So I think we'd done about 12 previews. We'd had our press night and then we played for about a week or two. And how did that feel being, you know, because you must've just felt you were getting going then and stuff. Was it difficult? I mean, it, it, it was an epic play. I mean, the set was epic. Everything about it was epic. The language, Tony Kushner had mm. done the version. It's... Um, uh, Duramat, isn't it? Duramat, that's right, yeah. thank you. Um, and it was, it was the scale of it. It was so ambitious. So the achievement of getting it on was felt so huge. Yeah. And the first... The first previews were I mean it was a long play the first previews were running at four hours we got it down to a a nifty three and a half (laughs) (laughs) but um oh I loved it it's one of the great characters I think one of the most fascinating and extraordinary and big characters I've I've ever played I just loved it but yeah, that was it. One night, there we were, ready, half, half ready. Rufus, uh, who runs the, the Rufus Norris, who runs the National, said we better have a meeting on Monday because things had been hotting up over the weekend. And Boris Johnson had just been on Radio Four saying it's all looking really bad. I think we're going to have to go into some sort of lockdown. And we had this meeting in the stalls of the Olivier and. Uh, you know, Lisa Berger, who's 
works with Rufus, was on the phone. Oh, shit, oh, the Royal Opera House are closing down. The, the, the RSC is closing down. And that was it. Right. Does it feel like an unfinished thing for you or are you able to let that one go? It doesn't feel unfinished. I mean, it, it, it feels truncated, but I did it. And, right. and I, di- I did it. I, I'd have loved to have do, done it more, but... Thankfully, we hadn't. We didn't just do two performances. We did right, do. Okay. We did got, a few. But, you, got, yeah. you got a short run out of it. Got a short run out of it. Yeah, yeah. Can I just ask you about nerves? I mean, do you get nervous? Is it something you know? Even now, do you feel it in your, you know, in your belly? Only, um, only on stage, first preview or two, hmm. and then I'm fine after that. Right. Because something I, I've sort of said to myself, the absolute worst thing that can happen. I mean, the worst thing for me to happen on stage is to forget my lines. Mm. I've never had to. I've never taken a prompt or anything, but so, but that is a fear, isn't it? You do think I'm going to yeah. forget the lines and then what do I do? But I, the worst thing is I ask for a prompt. Mm. It's not the end of the world. But also sometimes the fear just grows. As soon as you have the fear, it can grow. If you indulge it, it grows and grows and grows, doesn't it? You have to relax on it, sort of counterintuitive slightly, you know, in a way. Yeah. I, I think I'm pretty chilled out, really. First preview, I hear my heart going a bit, but that's about it. And what about reviews? I mean, and critics, is that something that you have learned to deal with or do you just bat it off or, or what? I read them because I'm too nosy and intrigued to know to know what people think. Um, and I like to get the, you know, the vibe, the temperature of a piece of work that I've done. And, and, and you know, if it's a film or a telly, you, you, you get to see the whole thing and so many other ingredients have gone into it, you know, editing, music, other performances that you know nothing about. But if there is personal criticism inside that, how, how do you deal with that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, but you haven't had any. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. I don't care really. Right. I, I, I don't. I don't care enough. That is great. Because I know. I'm. I think I'm my. I'm my best critic because I know if I haven't done it properly i know if i've if i feel like i might be shortchanging or that. so yeah i i i can bat it off really well that's a great answer i think and also you know what i would say is that hot gossip's losses acting's game <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there's a bit of me that wishes you'd sort of at least done it for as many performances as you've done the visit. So it's it would be in the we would be on YouTube or something. Can you imagine how every time every time I was doing some big serious play, somebody would go and find me with hot gossip. That would be hell. Gyrating in front of a TV camera. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, that's why we live in the age without growing up without video phones. How good how good is that? <laughs> Leslie, it's wonderful to talk to you. It's as I said before, it's one of my favorite films. I've seen it so many times. It was wonderful to revisit again, knowing I was going to be talking to you. 
Oh, well, that's great. It's been like, yeah, it's just been easy to talk to you. It's nice, really nice. So thank you. Well, thanks for joining us. Who Am I This Time is a Just Voices and Doolally production. Produced by Simon Lennigan. Music by Greg Hatwell. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg. And presented by me, David Morrissey. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.